Welcome to the VoxGig Developer Relations Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Roger. I speak to people in the software development community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. I'm the CEO of VoxGig, a software consultancy that builds DevRel tools. Because we believe in the power of community, we host a monthly virtual online meetup for everyone in developer relations. Check out devrelmeetup.com. And visit voxgig.com to view our work, use our tools, and sign up for our newsletter. Okay. Please sit back and enjoy my fireside chat with today's guest. I had a really fun and super insightful chat with Tara Walton. On this podcast, we speak not only to developer advocates, but also to the people who work with them. In this discussion, we talk about how software quality is something that developer advocates need to think about as well. Tara covers a very wide range of topics, all of which will make your developer relations better. Okay, let's chat. Tara, welcome. It is great to find you have finally have you on the Fireside with Box Gig podcast. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. I can't tell you how many episodes I've listened to. I think most of them, if not all of them. So I'm super excited to, Marvelous. to join my, the ranks. My ears are going red now, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just talking about what you do before we came on, and it's kind of everything, right? You know all about testing. I, yeah, I'm a one of those jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I I work in the quality space. I've been a developer. I'm a community builder. I love to tie all of those things together. Uh, <laughs> see if I can get people to you know advocate for each other a little bit. And which is the perfect qualification for developer advocacy, <laughs> right? Because yeah, <laughs> we kind of need to do everything. Um, but I did want to I, I did want to start with uh, an area where you have done an awful lot of work, um, which is testing and QA. Yes. Um, so one of the things we like to do with this podcast is, you know, it is about developer relations, but developer relations covers the whole range of building and delivering software. Um, and developer advocates are kind of at the front if the software goes wrong. Right, they're answering Absolutely. questions in the forum, or they're, you know, they're they're dealing with the difficult questions after the conference talk because stuff didn't work, um, you know, or those questions that come up in the in chat forums where you're running a you're doing a live webinar or whatever, and right, we've all been there. Oh, uh, yeah. So, it, I think it's useful to understand where software testing is. So we're January 2024, right? Software mm. testing is proper official software testing. I don't know. Would I date that back to the original launch of JUnit and the Agile Manifesto? I mean, obviously oh. there was testing before that, but it kind of yeah, people started taking it seriously it become, then, right? <laughs> yeah, when did uh, it become an actual discipline all on its own? Um, I don't know. Um like you said, I think there's always been people that have tested and double checked other people's work, but being a standalone kind of siloed off definition of a job um, might have been the beginning of the end for, for software testing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I see a lot of people that when they decide to to quarter it off as its own standalone, um, those are the times that we. We see QA does really well, 
And so no bugs are getting through and everybody has a great user experience. And so we don't need testers. <laughs> and the, the yeah. employment and the, the teams dip down and then everything gets really bad. And then we have to hire the testers back. And it's like a great big roller coaster. Um, so it's it's kind of a where do you draw that line between what's development and what's quality? Well, let's let's do a scenario, right? So that, I think that's that, let's uh, let's assume that uh, you know we're, we're dealing with a startup that has um, hit product market fit really quickly and they've taken off. Oh, I guess they must be some sort of AI startup, right? In in twenty twenty four. In today's right? yes, this, absolutely. They've got a chatbot for something and it's just taken off like crazy. Um, and of course, they they had an MVP, and then that turned into production code. Uh, so now it's all a horrible, huge mess. And but they've just taken on. A, okay, well, it's probably not uh, a huge seed these days, but it's still big enough to hire <laughs> a team. Uh, and the CTO actually cares about quality. So they brought you in as a consultant. <laughs> But they have no I software. Love this, right? I love this scenario already. <laughs> and if you're listening, and, and that's your scenario, right? Tara is the person to talk to. Um, <laughs> but just walk me through, right? So what what happened? How do you uh, how do you unwind this mess? And how do you get the, how do you get the company to a good place? Oh, so unwinding a mess is always so much easier than preventing, or so much harder than preventing one. Preventing it's the easy part. Um, I think when you've already walked into something that exists for a while. And particularly AI, it moves so much faster, right? So when things start to spiral, even a little bit out of control, by the time you've noticed it, yeah, it may or may not be too far gone. <laughs> um, and so you really have to start to sit back and hopefully there's a lot of documentation on decisions and end goals and what was this supposed to be doing? Um, if not, that is where I start. Because when it lives in somebody's head, it doesn't do the rest of the team any good. We all have yeah. to be on the same page and, and aiming for that same goal. <clears throat> um, when it comes down to unwinding that backlog of bugs that build up, regardless of if it's AI or not, right? We all tend to shove things to the bottom of yeah. the backlog and think, oh, we'll get there in a minute, or we're going to rewrite that feature one day anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. So we just push it down the bottom of the backlog. And I think really stepping up and being the advocate and saying, you know, I know it doesn't mean a lot to you, but our end users are really getting frustrated with this. We see it on the forums. We have people calling our CSMs all day about this. It's a much bigger issue than you think. So it, it is a little bit of that, that DevRel side, that the developer advocacy side of being able to step up and say, you know, be that voice for the people that don't have one directly yeah. saying like it, it's a much bigger impact than you know. And I guess like building a good QA system would benefit greatly from having decent documentation to begin with, right? Because, oh, absolutely. I mean, would, would you start from the documentation as opposed to what it's supposed to do, right? Would you start like, <laughs> well, this is what you've actually documented. Maybe it should work this way, right? Yeah. Well, I think, I think knowing what the ultimate goal is, if somebody comes in and says, oh, well, this was supposed to be a chatbot that helped us sell X, Y, and Z, and you're like, great, it doesn't do that. <laughs> like, that yeah. is, it had nowhere in here does it do any part of sales. It doesn't direct people to a link. It doesn't you know, say, would you like to talk to somebody about purchase pricing? You're missing your goal. So asking that why question 90% of the time, like why 
is this happening? What is this supposed to be doing? Is going to provide a lot of clarity. And I think somewhere we get a lot of assumptions going of, I've been working on this project for five years. I know what it's supposed Mm. to do. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And I mean, what I've seen sometimes is um, pointless testing, right? Where there's no, the the why question is not being asked, but uh, there's 90% code coverage. So we must be good. Right, but it it turns out it was just you know a load of junior engineers being hit over the head until they got to ninety percent. Well, we all have to meet our KPIs, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, they did. Code I'm coverage sure they got bonuses, is, a, right? is a good one. Um, yeah. Code coverage is a great metric if it means something. Um, I think so often we're so busy testing everything that we forget about testing the things that are important. And sometimes the things that are important aren't the things that the code does so much as what it should not be allowed to do. Um, I think we've all seen that scenario of somebody that came in and you go, I'm sorry, you did what with what? And that worked? (laughs) Yeah. I know. Isn't there, there's a rule actually, you know, you know, these uh, internet rules, right? They always have names. It's something like Hiram's rule or something like that. Um, and it's something like uh, whenever you whenever you expose an API um, within a very short time, 100% of the things that are possible, somebody will depend on it. Even if you haven't documented, and even <laughs> if you didn't mean to provide that functionality, people will 100% oh. find all the edge cases <laughs> and, and their businesses will depend on them and... The CEO will shout at you if you break it. Oh, there are right? people like myself who who delight in finding those really strange edge cases. Not necessarily because we're out looking for them, but because you kind of get this like, oh, look what I found. It's like an Easter egg on uh, Christmas. You uh, know, dopamine, you, dopamine <laughs> rush, right? You got <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, I found something really neat. I don't think it's supposed to do that. I'm going to go tell them and see what they say. Um there are companies that actually put their stuff out there to to bug hunters and say, look, we'll give you a bug bounty. If you find something that we haven't, we'll give you money for it. That's yeah, an even bigger yeah. dopamine you know, hit, right? <laughs> I, have, I have done that. I have done that. This is a long time ago, right? 20 years ago. But um, yeah, and it's it's actually pretty cool because um, people do find bugs. There, there are people who get a kick out of it. And I mean, even if you're only giving them, you know, I don't know, a $50 voucher or something, right? It's still... Oh, yeah. It's, it's it's that little reward of I yeah. found something and I got something for it. <laughs> you think there's a certain type of um, I don't know a, a certain type of personality or a certain type of of uh, brain that's more suited to testing <laughs> to find those edge cases? Is that a is it it's a <gasps> is it a skill or is it something? I mean, I mean, are I you it's born a little bit it? of. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's something that can be honed and that can be taught and learned. But I think some people just have a given talent for it, you know, those versus those people that sit down on a piano and can play beautifully in two hours and the people like myself who've tried for 20 years and just can't manage to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Join the club. Uh, Yeah. It's, I mean, it's part of the skill set of being developer as well right to think mm-hmm. of failure conditions but in my experience i'm sure in yours as well the testing team they could they can just think of so many more ways to break the software <laughs> uh, oh. than i ever could right 
Well, I think one of my favorite things to do is to put on these personas um, and, and ask what they would do. You know, I, I love my parents and my my little sister, but none of them are very tech oriented. So I just kind of think, you know, what would my dad do who absolutely hates touching a computer? And if he gets frustrated, he's going to hit the inner key 50 times. And when that doesn't work, he's going to click it 100 times. And how many... Yeah. How many yeah. explosions did we have now? What what happened with that action? Um, and so I always try to just, what would somebody who's frustrated or having a bad day or didn't realize they already hit submit because somebody asked them a question, you know, those types of scenarios of what happens when. Yeah. And I think having a little bit of that personality of, you know, what does this button do? If somebody gives you a big red button, are yeah, you gonna yeah, push yeah, it? Are you gonna press this? <laughs> Whereas actually as a developer, I'm gonna be like, hmm, no. <laughs> I'm gonna decompile it first. I'm, I'm not even gonna press it then. Right. And uh, I'm gonna look at the person who gives me the button and go, we're not gonna explode, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, cool. Just, Pressing the button. Let's, let's just go. Um <laughs> so we were talking earlier, actually, before we started recording, and that's just it's mm. just reminded me again uh, of a recent experience I had with an API that I helped build. So I'd have to um I'll have to change the names to protect the innocent. But it went, the scenario <laughs> went something like this. We had an API. We had tested the API functionally 100% in terms of uh, documented behavior at 80% unit test coverage on the, the back-end implementation. So we thought we were golden. Yeah, that sounds like pretty we comfy we space to be in. Um, and a particular user of the API just happened to have a, a completely legitimate use case. It was a little bit outside of expectations, but it was it was something that it should have been able to handle. Um, hit some parts of the database that weren't properly indexed and caused a very large bill. Now, <laughs> what did we miss? Right? How would how would how? I don't want that to happen again. Right. Oh, but functional yeah. functional coverage is not enough to cover those types of scenarios. So how how do you deal with that? No, and some of that is is in the exploratory and having that kind of mentality of saying, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Right. Well, the worst that could happen is I end up with this thousands of dollar bill that makes me want to cry. <laughs> right. Well, or actually cry, especially if you're not anticipating a thousand <laughs> yeah. or so dollar bill. Uh, and so, you know, kind of flipping that use case and saying, okay, not just how does our API work, but maybe how do our services work or how does our database work and looking at those other peripheral components and making sure that we're testing those too. Right. So I might make sure that if I log a hundred people on all at once, is it going to shut down? <laughs> If I send a yeah. thousand requests in two seconds, is it going to be okay with that? What about a million? <laughs> you, know, you start scaling it up just to see where that breaking point is. And so some of those performance checks, you know, you would find out very, very quickly just on the testing side of, um, so this skyrocketed usage. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, you, you, you just, the scenarios you've just outlined, I mean, I remember doing testing like that with various load balance uh, sort of uh, load generating tools. And I mean, there's, there's even stuff like the, the venerable Apache AB, right? All that type of stuff. But 
these days, part of the reason that that happened is I thought, well, it's running on a serverless environment. It's infinitely scalable. Right. You know, we, don't, we don't need to worry about that anymore. I mean, it's, it's Amazon's problem. And <laughs> right. mostly... Until okay. it hits the wallet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Until it hits the it wallet. Worked. <laughs> it, it worked. It held up okay. It worked. Yes, it worked. Yes. It, it worked as specified. <laughs> it just didn't bill as specified. <laughs> right. That's a whole different kind of issue. Uh, um, so I think keeping those requirements in mind, sometimes the best requirements come from the person who's, you know, holding the purse strings where they say, look, I would I would love to run this website, but we have a budget. You know, small businesses in particular are very good at coming up and saying, I want this website, but if it costs me more than X amount of dollars a month, I can't have just, this yeah. website. It's just, yeah, you just you just can't yeah, you just can't go there. Um, I but this is I mean that this is the challenge that everybody building APIs faces. And yeah. when we say APIs, you, you know, you think of people who are building very very large scale APIs like Stripe. But I was reading an article today. This this is going to be something like two hundred million APIs. This year, know, right? running live APIs. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy to think about how many things are out there um, and how many we use without even really batting an eye at it. I think the last right. project, major, major project that I worked on, we had four or five third-party APIs that we were just like, eh, that's fine. Yeah, it's never gonna, <laughs> they're never going to break. Uh, yeah, that's what and, I worked and again, on. Had, had you sit there and you right? go, Stripe. Stripe, if something breaks on Stripe's side, that's Stripe's problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if it, so yeah, there is a difference, right? So if Stripe breaks, well, everybody's broken. So you can you, you could kind of get away with that. But the problem is all of the all of the other APIs that you depend on. Yeah. Where it's not so clear, right? It's not so obvious. Um, yeah. And then, oh, so one of the one of the things that I have been working with recently as well was, um, so I'm based in Europe, and the European Union has this open banking regulation where all of the banks are supposed to provide APIs to expose your transaction data for for personal use, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine over the whole of Europe, several hundred banks, the quality variability of those APIs is <laughs> somewhat considerable. Let's let's just say there's many sigmas involved, uh, <laughs> and the problem is if you build an application based on that, even if you're using a third party aggregator, uh, it's still it's still very very tough, right? You're you're kind of how do you how do you test a scenario like that where you don't know which of those six hundred banks a user is going <laughs> to use, right? Yes. Yeah. That's those are kind of those nightmare scenarios where there's so many variables that how could you possibly test them all? Um, and I think for me, one of the things that I really try to focus on is <clears throat> okay, I might not know what a given user's bank is, but I know what the majority of our users' banks are. Right. And you kind of start to prioritize that way, right? So that if the the one person that uses this bank over here might have trouble, but the thousands of people in these other five banks are doing real good. <laughs> so, yeah, and then you can kind of yeah. prioritize the testing the same way you would uh, features on your backlog. What's what's the most important? What's going to give us the biggest bang for our buck? 
Um, and who's how's it going to impact the most number of people? Yeah. Yeah. The challenge I have with that approach, and, and I'm perfectly happy to follow that approach, is <laughs> whereas I can turn around and say, oh, I want to do unit testing. Here's, here's a bunch of tools. Um, or even I want to do API validation. Here's a whole bunch of third-party online tools that I can I can pay money and they'll hit my API. What uh, are the tools that I can use for that type of scenario where, I don't know, where I'm trying to have an 80-20 solution, right? Where I'm trying to say it's okay mm -hmm. if there are some failures even in the testing tools because I'm not, I've done a business analysis and it, it, it doesn't make business sense to have 100% coverage it yeah it rarely are there tools, makes are there tools good for that <laughs> um i'm sure there are lots of tools for that it's really how comfortable you are with tools and and how much effort you want to put into things yeah. um when it comes to testing you know, outside apis i think my favorite fallback is always going to be postman i can really explore that api see what it's doing see what it kicks back and and get to know it the same way you would, you know, the the books on your bookcase. I know what they look like. I know what color that one is. <laughs> you know, all it's of those a, sorts of things. You the way the way that you say it, I, I I'm sort of detecting. <laughs> reading between the lines, you're like, this is my lock picking toolkit. <laughs> I'm coming. It for really your API. it really is. I'm coming to get because you. it gets to the uh, point where you know if somebody sends you an API response from one of these ten banks that you usually work with, you can sit there and go, I know what bank that is. Yes. Because I know what that response looks like. Yeah. I'm gonna so if it. all of a sudden it looks different, something's, I, I know there's a problem there. I know that something's going to fall apart there. Yeah. And so it really just is getting to know the software that you're using. You know, we so often we take those third party tools for granted and let them do so much of the work. And it's great. But I think we lose a lot of the, the institutional knowledge. And then if I get promoted or laid off or hit by a bus or sick with COVID and I'm not there, gosh, maybe I just took vacation. Yeah. Nobody knows the answer now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so you've got to know that information, have it documented, you know, make sure all the team is on the same page so that if I do decide to take a vacation, I'm not getting called at two o'clock in the morning because I'm the only person who knows what that JSON does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, uh, that's that's basically our lives, right? Is to, to avoid yeah. getting cold. <laughs> Quality of sleep. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I was at a meetup recently where uh, DevOps. Somebody was doing a DevOps talk, and they they had a chart where it was. I think serverless was on one side, and quality of sleep was on the other. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were measuring it that way. Uh, yes. I had tiny agenda actually framing that question around how do you deal with the variable results because that's exactly the challenge a lot of people are facing now when they're building things like AI chatbots and have generative output. I mean, I've seen systems demo to me where you're you're verbally describing a software architecture and then spitting out effectively generating code, right? Yeah. Uh, business well, rules, all that type of stuff. So how I mean obviously you could test it and test all that stuff in the same way. Uh but it's it, it's just not as effective because the output is random. It's right? it's brutal. Yeah, you never know what it's going to say. You never know if it's going to say something accurately. 
Um, unless you get into things that are very specific use case AIs, you know, um, the, the ones that we've been using for years, right? The code linters and uh, yeah, all yeah. Those, those things that I think at this point we take for granted and don't even really consider them AI, but they are. Um, so unless you have very specific use case AI, then you really never know what you're going to get. And so testing those things is... Oof, it's a whole lot of trial and error and hoping things don't change. Um, I was reading an article just yesterday where, oh gosh, I wish I had it bookmarked so I could send it to you. Uh, I don't remember who said it, but the the person they were interviewing had said that once AI starts to fall down, once it starts to have issues, whether that's data bias or an attitude problem, <laughs> whatever whatever yeah. the case may be, um, once any of those kind of glitches in the AI happen, it's so hard to get it back. Like you oh, might as well yeah, just yeah. ratchet and start over. It's like um, a phenomenon, isn't it? It's it's the model goes bad and that's it. You've you've lost. And yeah, and that's it. Once you've destroyed that that data set that it's pulling from, whether it's from do you remember that that Twitter bot they put out a while ago that got like real racist real fast? Yes, yeah. And they just yeah. were like pull the plug. Well, <laughs> if they had proper the QA, plug. I mean, you know, good QAs would have found that pretty quickly, right? Well, that's you know, we're we're the devil's advocate here. Yeah. We go, look, you you're very excited that it's going to have the internet at its fingertips to pull from, but have you been on the internet lately? Yeah, recently, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of questionable stuff out there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I, and it's. Uh, I mean, I, I, I remember working on a project last year where, um, again, changing the names just to to keep the <laughs> keep the innocent safe. Uh, but let's say it was recommending hotels, and um, but one of the nice things that these sort of chat GPT based systems do is it doesn't matter if you misspell something, right? So if you misspell the name of a hotel, it'll sort of figure out which one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but what this uh, what the answer that we got back was it kept the misspelling right. So um, the hotel uh, it, it 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 corrected the the misspelling, but it called it Hotel Apple right, which wasn't it wasn't the name of a fruit. Let's say the hotel was called something completely <laughs> different. But everything else was correct. The rates and the conditions and you know, which, whether it had a pool or not, or, or whatever. But it repeated the incorrect name throughout the entire text. Yeah. How and it's, you, it's very common to sit and think, you know, it's very common to think if I'm talking to a person, they're just keeping contact so I don't lose space or yeah. so that I know that they're talking about the same thing. But computers don't have context, no, right? They don't, no. they don't understand it, at least not at this point in AI. You know, we don't have iRobot yet. <laughs> no, no, thankfully. <laughs> At least not that I'm aware of. <laughs> I, I love all these people who predict uh, general artificial intelligence because it's like, have you seen Terminator? Right? When, when, yeah, when, have you when watched she's any good? sci-fi? Yeah. It when doesn't turn out. Code. Yeah, it's not good. I don't think I don't think you should look be looking for that. Uh, yeah, I can give you a whole playlist of movies that would warn yeah. you against it. Let's, let's, um, not, let's not do that one. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's it's you're right. So in a, in a way, the machine did what was specified. It maintained context because that's what humans need. But it's still the wrong. But outcome. now, if I go ask it the same question, is it going to use the right hotel name 
or will it use the wrong hotel name? Because now it's part of its model, right? Yeah. We gave it this, it accepted this, it tied the two together, but it doesn't have a, other other than the statistics of 99.99% of the time, it's this. But the rest of the time we do see, you know, yeah, it's yeah. spelled this way. And I think it's very interesting to kind of watch. Well, it's like the evolution of human language, right? When you talk about the the way that uh, England spells things versus my side of the pond in America, where we you know spell things completely different and pronounce things completely different, and is it even really the same language? You guys, you guys are just three hundred years in the past. You just, you just you're, you're never modernized. You're, you're but we understand each other. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> well, it could be an AI simulation. You, you never know, right? That, these that days, would actually be these... a really fun simulation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you just you just never know. Uh, but that's one of those things that she would try to test for. You know, yes, this bot speaks English, but so does a lot of people that don't understand each other. Yeah, right? If yeah. if you're talking about a jumper versus a sweater, those are two completely different things in different languages but in in the greater of english it still works right? yeah it still yeah. works <laughs> uh, yeah i'll be i'll be very excited to see how this goes because there's a lot of stuff uh, there's a lot of stuff being produced and the usual standards of qa even though a lot of people don't do a lot of qa uh they've slipped <laughs> even further when it comes to this ai stuff right so yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I there have to be, there's got to be a whole bunch of really good business ideas around quality and testing for these systems. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're, I think we're going to be coming up on a kind of another evolution of what it means to be in QA. Uh, you know, for a long time it was input versus output, and then it was. You know, performance and security and input and output and data. And I think it's just, we're just going to add to that definition. The way that AI evolves is going to require developers to evolve and marketing to evolve and copywriters and QA. Yeah. May you, may you live in interesting times, as they say. <laughs> Never uh, a dull yeah. moment. No, no. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. I, I, I want to talk to you about. I wanted to talk to you about community building, but we're going to have to do that the next time. Ooh, we have... well, I, I would love to come back. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll well we'll do it. We'll do a retrospective, I suppose, in uh, a year or so, and see see we we'll see where all this AI testing and all that sort of fun stuff has, has got us. Uh, Tara, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, I'm not sure we solved any problems, but we we created new questions well that's the point of qa is asking all the questions right <laughs> you you qa'd me that's what you <laughs> i was expecting happy to help i was expecting to go on the happy path but no no typical tester <laughs> tara thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure thank you take care bye-bye thank you for having me bye-bye you can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on the podcast section of our website voxgeek.com slash podcast Subscribe to the VoxCake Developer Relations Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any podcasting platform. We publish each Tuesday and Thursday. You can also access the archive of our meetup talks on the VoxCake YouTube channel or the VoxCake website. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.